This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Shall we begin? BFM 89.9, you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn and Sharmila, who kind of sounds like Sharmila, but also doesn't quite sound like Sharmila. Just fair warning to everyone, um, because my co-host, Sharmila Ganesan, has been under the weather and is joining us on Popcorn Culture. Yes, I am. And I will say, I watched Blonde just for you guys, despite being sick. (laughs) Which maybe gives a hint of how we feel about Blonde. So... It's one of Netflix's biggest and perhaps most controversial releases. It has a pretty adult rating uh, for reasons that will be infinitely clear the minute you watch, I I think, 20 or so minutes of this two-hour, 45-minute behemoth. Um, But yeah, it is an adaptation of Joyce Carol Oates' novel. It's directed by Andrew Dominic, and basically it stars Ana de Armas as Marilyn Monroe. So... I was actually very, very excited about this from the moment they released that initial teaser of Ana de Armas sitting at the mirror, sort of transforming from Norma Jean into Marilyn Monroe. I will say Ana de Armas just acts her acts her heart out in this film. Um, she's often very good. I have some problems. Whatever not great about her performance, I think, is more to do with how the direction goes. Um I've never been more disappointed by a movie. Honestly, um, I think it's worth saying that it's not a biopic. Um, It's being misrepresented as one, but actually even the novel that it's based on is a fictionalized account of Marilyn's life based on some real incidents. And I think that sets the stage for what we get from this movie. Not so much for the better, mostly for the worse, at least from my point of view. So um, I, I guess my thing is that and and I started think, thinking this midway through, right, that I wish it weren't about Marilyn Monroe because it didn't have to be about Marilyn Monroe. It could have been about, it could even have been a thinly disguised look at her life, but you don't call her Marilyn Monroe and you don't have the scenes from her films and you don't have um, John F. Kennedy, that, that scene, the less said about it, the better. But um, I, I think that I wish that there were ways in which we could have had this this telling um, and this ambitious film and this exploration of the themes without necessarily treading through the the ground um, or treading through the quote-unquote life and trauma and tragedy of Marilyn Monroe. And I think those are the parts that tend to feel very uncomfortable because it it's not a biopic, but it has the beats and structures of one. It starts in her, it starts at the beginning in her childhood and it ends at her death. And so because it has that arc, it ends up feeling very biographical. Yes. And 
unfortunately, it seems only interested in dwelling on the things about her life that are traumatic and tragic and sad and difficult. Which is not to say her life wasn't, right? I mean, she died of a drug overdose. Um, she was quite famously exploited by many people along her career. But I think telling the story of someone who has had this much of a cultural footprint, who continues to inspire and amaze people, there should have been some amount of consideration given for what that legacy means and what a person in that position um was who she was, not just a victim. And I think for me, the problem with this film is that it's so intent on painting Marilyn Monroe only as a victim over and over and over again. And it just robs her of her agency. And it does that by being quite episodic. So, mm. um, I know I said earlier that it has the traditional structure of uh, a biopic, and, and I stand by that it does, but it doesn't have any connective tissue except for trauma. So um, the way that the movie is told, it kind of begins with um, her mother, who was uh, in and out of mental health institutions for the rest of her life, basically, um, you know, kind of being violent towards her daughter. Uh, it then kind of completely fast forwards through her time in foster care, a period in which she was shunted from place to place and early marriage and goes straight into her career. And I think that this is where that sense of a lack of agency really starts to kick in because this version of Marilyn, and you hear it in that clip also, her saying, I was discovered, I guess. Um, it doesn't take into account any ambition or desire of, of, of someone to become Marilyn Monroe. It's almost as if the world hoisted Marilyn onto Norma Jean and that nobody created it or nobody participated in it. And the, I think that is doing a disservice. It's also worth saying that the director, Andrew Dominic, has given interviews um, speaking about his desire to make a faithful adaptation of this fictional book, so one, um, and also saying that he was very interested in exploring how childhood trauma changes the way an adult views the rest of their life. And he said that he had been thinking about doing this with a serial killer and then read Blonde and thought, oh, I'll do it with Marilyn Monroe instead. And maybe that gives some insight into how this movie is in some ways just a lens through which to look at stuff. Yeah, and it's it's problematic, right, when it involves a real person with, with real story and, and, and real history because a lot of people say that there wasn't much evidence that she was even uh, physically abused by her mother. Her mother did suffer from mental health issues. But so again, when we go back to that, idea of childhood trauma, what are we really talking about? Um, how are you telling the story of a real person? And now are you sort of robbing her of her real legacy, right? Um, the other thing that I think I constantly felt, and I felt even more having read interviews with the director later, um, is that it feels like he doesn't like or even respect the person he's telling the story about. Because when we look at other biopics, say Elvis, which just came out, or um, something like Get On Up about James Brown, these were also people with deep traumas um, and, you know, problematic people, people who had their own issues with addiction and so on. Um, but you always got the sense that the person telling the story while acknowledging those issues also felt a sense of respect and understood their place and their legacy and the, the genius of what they did. I feel this movie kind of just wants to tear away at that and, and paint a picture of someone who was utterly broken. And that feels kind of unfair to me. Okay. So I, 
I, I both agree and disagree with that. Um, mm. I've I watched. I will say that I watched Blonde in Chunks. Uh, I don't think that I could have done a full stretch. I, I did need to take a break because there there are a number of very tough scenes. There are a number of very emotionally demanding scenes, and so it just started to feel like I I, I cannot I cannot do this. So because of that, I've had more time to think about the film and to to sit with a reaction to it. And overall, I I admire. I admire the ambition. I admire the desire to make something that is quite unapologetically challenging and difficult. Um, it's saying that it's bleak and it has every intent to continue being so and, and it does it. Um, I think it's also best understood actually as a psychological horror and that if you approached it more as a horror movie and approached the tropes of a horror film onto it, then it a lot of what you're talking about even would become more acceptable. But, and I, I think also that that's what they intended to do. It's just that it's not what you expect perhaps of, uh, or it's not what you expect when Marilyn Monroe is being used as a vessel through which to tell that story. Which goes back to your point, right? That this didn't need to be about her at all. Um, this could have been the story of any um, star caught up in the Hollywood casting couch system and so on. And and I think then perhaps it would be a story, uh, not her story. And then, of course, marketing goes into it as well. Uh, a large part of the marketing posits this as a biopic. Even Anna de Armas's interviews, even Andrew Dominic's earlier interviews, um, don't really make that distinction that a lot of this is fictionalized. They make it sound like it is her story. Um, so I guess that's where it gets a little problematic. I will say the film looks beautiful. Um, it's shot beautifully. There are scenes that um, are so gorgeously staged. So also recreating um, scenes from Marilyn's actual films are so meticulous. There are points at which I'm like, oh, they're using an old uh, shot from the actual movie. And then to realize, oh, no, this is actually a restaging with Ana de Armas and you can't tell the difference. We're talking today about Blonde, um, which has proven very, very controversial upon its release. Um, let us know. Have you watched it? It's out on Netflix. You can WhatsApp us with your thoughts, 018-789-8899. And of course, tweet us at BFM Radio. Business finance and music bfm 89.9 i know you're supposed to get used to it and we all lose our jobs in the end but i just can't square cut or pear shape i played marilyn monroe marilyn monroe marilyn monroe face doing another scene with Marilyn Monroe. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn and Sharmila. We're talking today about Blonde, um, a fictionalised take on Marilyn Monroe's life, an adaptation of the Joyce Carol Oates book, uh, Joyce Carol Oates book and starring Ana de Armas, who I think we must talk about. So a lot of... A lot... Well... While I think the film has broadly divided people, 
one thing that most of us can agree on is that Ana de Armas is really rather stupendous in the central role, and she is. And I think that it's important to say that it goes beyond an impersonation of Marilyn Monroe. At the beginning, it does feel a bit... Um, but but. It does feel a bit that way, but I think that that has more to do with Marilyn's fame and pop culture status than it has to do with the actress. Um, like you said earlier, halfway through she just disappears. It's it's really something else. It's uncanny. Um, there are times when I wasn't sure whether they were using like technology to make her face look the same, but it isn't really just her face, even though at some points you cannot tell them apart. It's actually a, a sort of the voice, the body language, the the look. Um, the one thing for me where you you can tell the difference is when they sort of straight up try to do like Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, the scene from the movie, um, where there's a sort of physicality of Marilyn that she can't quite capture, um, you know, in the ball gown, doing the famous scene, walking up the stairs. But but in the more intimate moments, um, I thought Anna Dermas was great. I kind of wish she was in a better film. So... Without her as our guide through the film, I don't think we would have a lot because the the lack of agency that we spoke about earlier, that feels like it was a calculated decision that was made on the part of the filmmaker. So, I mean, maybe people will read it differently. I was bothered by it. Halfway through, I really started to chafe at it. Um, I think considering that lack of agency, if it wasn't an Ana de Armas or the Ana de Armas playing this role, I would have lost interest. I think that it was, it was very tough. And um, there are scenes earlier on, so there are a lot of explicit scenes and they have been somewhat contested as well, um, particularly in terms of how they depicted her her romantic relationships. And so there's an early scene or there's an early menage a trois, basically, in which she is spending time as a thruple um, with two famous juniors, right? Charlie Chaplin Jr., Edward G. Robinson Jr. And that's actually where Ana de Armas shines even more because I felt like those two... Um, when you're when you're with performances that you can't fully comprehend or that don't feel very fully realised, that's when she feels even more well-rounded. Yeah, those scenes were weird. I mean, they were weird <laughs> even when they were in the book. I know that they got a lot of controversy when the book came out. Um, she was great, though. Um, I will say she sells a lot of the more difficult scenes. For me, I struggled with the um, the way the film handled the topics of abortions and pregnancy. It just felt like it was placing a, a weirdly unnecessary political point onto a person's personal experiences. Uh, can I also say that the point of view shot that was chosen, mm. um, so the word that has been used quite a bit to describe the way this approaches um, Monroe's life is dehumanizing. And yes. I think that we've been circling that uh, here and there. But for me, it was never more dehumanizing than when Andrew Dominic chose to basically place a shot at the end of a speculum. And I think that you can then imagine how that would look and where you're coming at it from. And in those moments, um, because the film is so meticulously shot and planned, in those moments, it feels even more like an, like an invasion or like it's shock value for the sake of shock value. Mm, and coupled with going back to that question of uh, agency, right? Coupled with these things not being within... Marilyn's control at all. None of them are decisions that she made. Um, it all feels very, 
yeah, like she's not a person at all. And 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 I think that's the part that made me uncomfortable. Another thing which actually is very much more to do with the art of filmmaking itself. I remember Arvind bringing this up when we talked about Belfast and and the use of black and white, right? Um, and I remember saying I thought in Belfast the black and white worked beautifully and it had a very specific point. Now, Blonde is a film where I actually cannot, for the life of me, figure out why some shots are black and white and some shots are in color. Some aspect ratios are larger, some are mm. smaller. Um, and I looked up interviews and Andrew Dominic just says, oh, it was sort of instinctual. And come on. I mean, for me, stuff like that feels a little bit Oscar Beatty and a little bit kind of I'm trying to make a film, which which I think, again, put me off a little bit. It just felt too stagey. So I guess I saw it as a further distancing mechanism. It's an odd film in that sense because there are some things that are so deeply intimate that they, um, that no matter how much distance the camera tries to put in between you and the subject, it's still going to feel very, very raw. Um, but having said that, because the film is in some ways about film itself or about the act of filming and recording somebody, of recording an icon, um, I just saw all of this as dis- distancing mechanisms, as staging mechanisms, right, to remind you that you're watching a film. And therefore, the the shifts in aspect ratio didn't bother me as much as the, the shifts from uh, colour to black and white. You're right. Because in, in those cases, it doesn't even... Um, depict anything from from studio to film or from audience to screen or, or time or time yeah, yeah. There, there's there's no real measure of when or why things like that get used and yeah i agree with that um it didn't bother me per se no that's a lie i i think i <laughs> i was going to say it didn't bother me but the truth is i was making note of it and not just because i knew we were going to come and talk about it but simply because i was trying to make sense of it so maybe it did take me out of the viewing experience also, I think when you have to watch a two-hour, 45-minute movie that is largely, largely, largely sad and tragic, um, it's got to earn those emotions. And when it doesn't, and when you start feeling at a certain point, like this is just a very long experience where I feel like someone's being exploited, you do start paying attention to these other things. And that's when it all starts getting a bit much. I agree with you that watching it in parts is probably a lot easier um, than watching it as a whole. I struggled. I sat through the whole thing. By the end, I was spent and I was irritated. So I come away from it again. um, I I like it when films are ambitious because I think we see films getting churned out sometimes and there's a sameness, there's a staginess, there's a recognizability to what they're, what they're doing, even the, the sets and the backgrounds. And there's a lot to, I struggle with the politics of the film, no doubt. Um, but I think that there is a lot that I, I keep saying admire because I cannot say I like it, but I I admire the way the story was chosen to be told. Um, I I think some of the the very specific, strange storytelling choices, I like the ambition and thought behind it. I come back to, I wish he just made that movie about the serial killer. (laughs) I wish he had just made... Ana de Armas. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Ana de Armas playing an actress in the uh, you know in the 50s making her way up would have been fine it didn't have to be about marilyn monroe yeah so I, you i guess are not recommending this to anyone i hate this film <laughs> I, that's where I'm at. Okay. Um, I really didn't enjoy this film either, but I have 
um, I have enjoyed thinking about it, I think, and, and trying to make sense of it. That's not a ringing endorsement, I know, but that's probably the best I can do. I think it's the kind of movie that if you want to have a lot to talk about and rail at after, you can watch, um, which isn't a recommendation. But, you know, I'm rarely one to say, don't watch this movie. So, yeah, watch it and then figure out whether you like it or not and maybe have discussions about it. So we've been talking today about Blonde, written and directed by Andrew Dominic, starring Ana de Armas. Let us know if you've watched it, if you plan to, and what you thought about it. You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, write to us at movies at bfm.my. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.